experience and that we deal with and maybe some that we struggle with uh, from time to time. In week one, uh, we talked about the emotion of uh, depression and uh, how that affects so many people uh, in our world today. And we talked about the fact there's a lot of factors that can factor into these emotions that we've been talking about. We've been focusing primarily on the spiritual factors, uh, the spiritual aspect of these emotions we've been talking about. Week two, we talked about anxiety. Uh, week three, uh, since it was Thanksgiving week and y'all wanted me to preach on gratitude and Thanksgiving, uh, we, talk, we, we talked about the emotion of anger. Um, since it was Thanksgiving, and some of you uh, dealt nicely with that. You've shown up, no broken bones, no black eyes that I've seen uh, as you've spent time with your family this week. But a lot of different emotions that we experienced. The one that I want to wrap up with today as we get into this uh, season of, of giving and receiving at Christmas time, uh, I, I want us to focus on the emotion of envy that we have and that we some kind of time uh, can experience. Uh, we've been talking about, though, in this series uh, with these emotions uh, that they're much like a, a smoke alarm in our house. Uh, in week one, I kind of shared with you about a funny story that happened at our house uh, where the smoke alarms went off and the fire department got called and all that good stuff. But our emotions a lot of times are like a smoke uh, alarm that lets us know there's a problem going on, but it doesn't specifically put its finger on what the problem is. It just tells you, hey, start looking for smoke, and then when you find the smoke, you can trail that to the source of the problem. And that's kind of the way it is with, with our emotions. And so the emotion that we're going to uh, talk about today uh, is often the truth teller behind what's going on uh, in our heart, in our souls, and in our spiritual lives. And again, today we're going to be looking at envy. And uh, so I think that we can see what lies at the heart of envy uh, here in this uh, obscure little story we're going to find in, in uh, Numbers chapter 11. Now, to set the context of this story, because I think it's important we understand what's going on and what's taking place here uh, before we get to our text. The, the children of Israel are about a year out from basically... Uh, being held captive by the Egyptians, okay? They've been, the, the children of Israel have been delivered from that, delivered from slavery. Uh, they're passing through the wilderness. God's leading them in the day with a cloud. At night, He's leading them with a pillar of fire, fire uh, directing their path, showing them the way. Uh, and every morning, uh, He's providing them what they need as far as food goes. He's providing them with this manna from heaven, uh, exactly what they need, plenty uh, to last them the entire day. Uh, miraculously, is just on the ground when they get up in the morning. And so we want to pick up the story with that in mind uh, at verse number 1. I'm not going to read all this to you, just kind of hit the highlights uh, this morning uh, of this story. God's Word says this, starting in verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships. Okay, so they were complaining. Uh, verse 4 tells us why the rabble, and other translations say, you may have a translation that says, uh, one, one that I saw said riffraff, all right? Uh, the riffraff of the bunch. Uh, the definition of rabble is actually a group of disorderly people or a lower class of people. Anyway, the riffraff, the rabble, NIV calls it, uh, with them began to crave other food besides this manna. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt 
at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, the pecan pies, the turkey, the dressing, the Ozark turtles, the Freddy cheeseburgers. I mean, we were living like, I may have added to just a little scripture there. Don't hold that against me. But you kind of get the point, right? They remember what it had been like back then. Verse 6 says, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And then verse 10 says, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. So the first thing I think we need to do this morning and talk about envy is defining envy, asking the question, what is envy? And the simplest definition of envy is wanting what you don't have, all right? Uh, feeling like what you have uh, is not enough. Another way that I think we could describe this from a spiritual point of view is that we feel like God owes us more than what we have, right? And that's simply what we do when we're envious of of other people or uh, of other things. We feel like God owes us more. And and so envy can start, uh, it can start with discontent and, uh, you know, in, in what you have, and then it can quickly turn in to not just discontent, but it can turn into resentment toward other people if they have what it is that you want. So it can quickly turn in, in into that. In other words, not only do you wish that you had what they have, but you get to the point, uh, and we wouldn't admit this in church this morning by raising hands, so I'm not going to ask you to, but sometimes we get to the point to where we really don't like the people that have what we have, Right? I mean, those people that live in that house, on that hill, with that land, with those vehicles, and it's just not fair, and I, I can't stand those people, right? I mean, not me, but I'm, I'm talking the way you think, probably, more than likely. But, uh, but the Bible tells us, think about what the Bible says. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, those who are successful, be happy for those people, basically, is what the Bible says. It says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, but envy... Uh, is just the opposite of that. If you think about it, I mean, envy weeps over those who are rejoicing and rejoices over those who are weeping. And so uh, I think it's important that we look at this. Uh, We did a series a few years ago we called The Comparison Trap that kind of weighs into what we're talking about today because a lot of this comes from comparisons, us comparing ourselves to other people. And there's basically three uh, main categories when it comes to comparison. The first one is material comparison. Uh, I mean, think about it. Uh, Some guy posts a picture of his brand new, you know, four by four uh, Ford truck. I mean, nobody would, none of us would be envious if it was a Chevrolet, but I mean, if they posted a a picture of a Ford truck, you know, and and up to this point, you know, we, you, you used to like the truck that you had. You were perfectly content with it, but now that you see what he's got, you're kind of like, man, I'd like to have that too. And so, you know, you kind of begin to get ill and you get mad because, you know, you can't afford that truck. And so it begins to wear on you and eat at you. And that begins to be all you think about. Or, or perhaps uh, your, your ladies, you're your surfing Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media you like to get on, and, and you see this, this pie that a friend of yours has posted, right? How many of you posted pictures of pie on Facebook this week? Obviously, you're not going to admit it, but I saw several of you did. Uh, uh, and they looked awesome, by the way. Uh, no cats were beside them, and it was all good. They looked like good, perfectly good pies uh, in the pictures that I saw, uh, some were posting pictures of their meringue. 
I, I think that's funny. I always think of when I was a kid, uh, we didn't call that meringue. Uh, we called that calf slobber. And, and it totally changes the way you view eating pie when you call the white stuff on top of the pie calf slobber. But anyway, y'all's calf slobber looked awesome in the pictures. But, you know, sometimes you look in those pictures and, and you kind of look past the pie and you see those awesome granite countertops that they had that the pie's setting on. And, and then, you know, your eye goes to all the cabinets that they have and all the storage that they have. And then you look down and, oh, my goodness, they have not just one dishwasher, but they have two dishwashers. And then over in the corner, oh, they also have a sonic crushed ice machine in their kitchen, you know. And before it's all said and done, you're looking at the picture and you hate that pie, Right? I mean, you can't stand the pie. And it's not really anything to do with pie at all. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, something we can refer to as material comparisons where we're envious of what other people have. The second category could be relational uh, comparison. Uh, you know, you see a post of all your friends together. Uh, they're having a big time eating dinner, and the post says they're going to a movie later. And you didn't get invited. And you thought you were a friend, but you weren't invited to the little get-together they were having. Or maybe I've talked to people before, and they've not, they're not married, you know, and, and they, they, everybody else is getting married, and so they're wondering, you know, what's wrong with them? And they look at themselves in the mirror, and they say, you know what, I'm better looking than she is, and I'm nicer than he is. Why are they getting married? And I'm not getting married. And so we compare ourselves uh, in relationships uh, or maybe, you know, tis the season, right? We're going to start getting all those Christmas cards. Uh, you can send them to me. They're awesome. I won't be sending one to you because I can't make my family look like your perfect little family, okay? And so, because that, but that's what we do when we compare. I mean, we get these Christmas cards, and it looks like a bunch of models, you know, in, in your family that have lined up, and you're all wearing these matching. I'm not dissing your Christmas cards. I'm just saying I'm dissing your Christmas cards because you're all wearing matching clothes, you know, matching Patagonias and, you know, all this stuff. And so, you know, I look at that picture, and I begin to compare my family to your family. And if we were to take a family picture, you know, our clothes would be wrinkled, and, and people would be, you know, we'd be strangling each other around the neck. Lynette cracks me up when we try to take a family picture. We will do this until you act right, you know. And so <laughs> evidently y'all don't have the issues with your family that we have because you have such beautiful Christmas cards. But, you know, we can look at, take those things and we can become, you know, jealous. We can become envious because what we see is not what we're living. And then the third kind of comparison, kind of similar circumstantial uh, comparison where you know you just wish that you had somebody else's situation i mean good grief look at him he's got a job he's making all that money he's got a company car and he never works how does that happen you know and so we compare ourselves to those kind of people uh, maybe it's more serious than that like i alluded to earlier with the the situation dan and tiffany i, I know we've talked about this when lynette and i we're going through that time when we couldn't get pregnant and had a miscarriage and, you know, just we couldn't seem to be able to have kids. Everybody around us is spitting out kids like a Pez candy dispenser, you know? And you're just going, Why, what's the deal? You know, you go to Walmart and you see this lady that has more kids than she, she don't even know all the kids. She don't know all their names. She's got so many. You know, and she's not taking good care of them. It's obvious, and we'd take great care of a kid, and we couldn't, can't even have just one, you know. And so we find her. It's real. That's honest. 
you know, emotion and things that we deal with. And, and that's, you know, envy can begin to work into our lives when we don't even realize that, it, that it's going on. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, you know, a lot of this is fueled by, uh, today, sociologists say that envy is a bigger problem for our generation right now today than it has been for any other generation. And you know why? Social media. Right? I mean, think about it. Social media. Uh, you, 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 you can't get pregnant, and everybody on Facebook is having a revealed gender party, right? I mean, some of you have been there, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. But here's the deal. You know, when we see other people's lives on social media, we need to understand we are only seeing a filtered image of what their family is like, right? You understand, you're, they're only showing you what they want you to see. They don't want you to see their wrinkled clothes that don't match and mama strangling somebody trying to get them to smile for the picture. Right? They don't want you to see that. And so what you're seeing on social media is only a filtered image of, of what they want you to notice and know about them. And, and, but here's the deal. When we other, uh, see other people's lives, you know, we, we tend to compare ourselves to them even though it's only a filtered image. And, and, and what, what are we doing? Well, we're, we're comparing our behind-the-scenes messed-up families to, you know, their highlight reels if you will. It's what we're doing. And, and so, you know, that begins to wear on us. It makes us feel like we're, you know, we're less than who we are. It makes us feel like losers uh, because we see the best of their best and we know the worst of our worst uh, in our own families. And I heard about, and this is a true story, I heard about two moms uh, that were on social media. They, they met in a group. It was like a Bible study. And, and they, but they knew each other. They'd been friends on Facebook and all this before. And they, they actually admitted to one another that they couldn't stand each other because of their social media post. One was a stay-at-home mom, right? And the other was a, a mom that had a career and, you know, had their, their child in daycare or whatever. But I, I want to share with you what they shared with each other. One was the working mom. She said it like this. She said, I just hated you because you were the perfect little Pinterest stay-at-home mom, you know, uh, who, who does crafts with your kids. And, you know, it made me feel guilty when I would view your pictures and your Instagram posts and all that. It made me feel guilty that I didn't stay at home with my kids and do all those awesome things that you were doing. And the stay-at-home mom, she said, I hated you because you had a life. You had a career. You're always dressed nice. You're always going places out in public, doing fun things. And I hadn't had my hair in anything but a ponytail or had an adult conversation with anyone since 2016, right? And you had two people, right, that were longing for what the other person had based on this filtered presentation of social media. And never before in the history of the world, think about it, could we... Uh, you know, so accurately measure our popularity, right? Because when I was a kid, you just kind of had to randomly guess if you weren't prop, uh, popular, you know? You, you could maybe convince yourself that you were popular, but you never really knew. Today, we can measure it, right? I mean, we can measure it. Uh, you know, one kid, you know, looks and says, I've only got 127 followers, you know, on Instagram or, or, or Twitter or whatever, but she's got you know, 633, right? And I can post a picture and get, you know, 17 likes. My record is 29 likes. He can post a picture of his dog and get triple digits every time. And so, you know, we can, we can measure 
what we feel our popularity is by numbers of followers, numbers of friends on Facebook, and and numbers uh, of likes. And, And don't miss this. The more that we compare ourselves to other people on social media, the less satisfied you're going to be. All right, and, and so we need to understand that. We need to understand that social media drives envy in our lives, and most of us don't realize that it's a deadly poison, poison that a lot of us are, are drinking because we think of envy as kind of this petty little jealousy thing to where we just want a little more than what we've got, right? And so that's how we view envy, but the Bible treats it much more serious than what we want to portray it as. Uh, in, in verse 6 here, it, it, you know, the translation, the English translation of verse 6, I believe is unfortunate. The NIV version that I showed you earlier says, We have lost our appetite. All right, but scholars say that the original Hebrew actually means our souls have dried up, which tells us that, you know, comparison and envy literally dried up their souls. And Proverbs 14.30 says that envy rots down to the bone, okay? So envy uh, and comparison rots us down to the bones, destroying our appetites and our ability to really enjoy anything in life. And so aren't you glad you came to church where our goal is to lift you up and encourage you? And, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, trying to beat down anybody today or discourage you, but here's what I want to do. I want to take a look at maybe why we struggle uh, with this emotion and with envy and how God views it, how we should view it, and how God will help us in a lot of these situations. The first reason is this. Uh, envy forgets God's goodness to us in the past. Here in our text, verse 1, it starts out saying, Now the people complained about their hardships. Okay? So they're complaining about the manna. They're complaining about the food. Right? basically what's going on here and and i read that and that's why i say it's important we understand the context because knowing the context of what's taking place here you look at this and say they're complaining about their food really they're complaining about their food when just a few months ago they were slaves right they had been held basically captive and and hostage in, in Egypt as slaves and now they're saying crazy things like yeah we were slaves but the food was great right we were eating it in chains but man it was so good And so, you know, they're totally oblivious to the fact now that God has delivered them from the chains of slavery only out of the goodness as a sheer act of compassion for them that he did this. And a God who saved them like that in the past will surely provide for them today and in the days ahead, right? But yet they've lost sight of that. They've forgotten. And envy seems to forget that none of us actually receive what we truly deserve. Uh, Lynette and I had this conversation this week. You know, from time to time, we try to make our case to our spouse that we need something. Uh, we talked about this before, but, you know, we often, often say, we'll go from saying, I want something, to saying, I need something, to saying, I deserve that, right? And so it, this was the game I was playing with Lynette this week, and I said, I deserve that. And she looked at me, and she said, you don't want what you deserve. <clears throat> okay 
And again, once again, we are reminded that Lynette is the Holy Spirit in bodily form. But we seem to forget that, don't we? That, you know, we, we don't receive what we actually deserve. And we somehow begin to think that because we're so awesome or we've accomplished so much that God owes us more. He owes us more. And so sometimes I believe we just need to hit the pause button and think about what we actually deserve. And what we deserve is God's judgment. What what we deserve is to be in bondage and in slavery and sentenced to an eternal death for our sins. That's what we deserve. Think about it. At this point, God has invested more in your life than you ever have or you ever will by sending His Son to die on the cross for your sins. He has much more invested in your life and your family than you ever will have. All right? And envy forgets about that. Envy forgets about the fact that we don't get what we actually deserve. The second thing is this. Envy forgets God's goodness in the present. Envy uh, keeps us from enjoying the here and now, you know, it keeps us from enjoying the good things that God has put in our lives now. Things that if we would be content with what we have now and what we have today would bring us a lot of joy, would bring us a lot of happiness, would bring us a lot of satisfaction uh, in our lives. The Israelites, what are they saying? All we have is this manna. You know, I'm, I'm laughing, uh, studying this. You know, they're complaining because all they have is manna to eat, and I'm complaining because I'm full, you know. So our complaints are just a little different but similar. All we have is this manna. And if that's all we have, what are they saying? We're gonna, just going to shrivel up and die, which was a lie because we know that the manna was what they needed. You know, none of them were dying of malnutrition. Moses referred to the fact earlier, talking about that, you know, no one's feet even swelled, which basically was a reference to the fact none of them were malnourished because that's what would take place in the situation that they were in. So they weren't going to shrivel up and die because all they had to eat was manna. That was a lie because here's the deal. Envy lies to us. It lies to us. If all I have is what God gives me, if if if. I have to solely rely on what God is giving me, then it won't be enough. That's a lie, right? I mean, that's a lie. And, and, and tragically, it keeps us from enjoying the very things that God has already given us for our enjoyment. I, I've, I've, I've said this before, but I, I love the, the quote someone said, if the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, water your own grass. Huh? But here's the deal, and y'all know it's the truth. If we're honest, the good stuff, the good life, you know, being happy is always just right over there. We can see it. We can smell it. We can almost touch it because it's so close. And, but, and it's right over there. But God says the happy life, the abundant life can be lived right now in the here and the now with what he's already given you and what you already have. All right. The third thing is this. Envy forgets 
God's goodness that has promised, been promised to us for the future. All right, so think about this. The children of Israel seem to have forgotten that this entire journey that they're on right now at this point is only temporary, number one. Right, it's a temporary journey. What was God doing in leading them? What was He doing when He was leading them with the cloud and the pillar of fire? What was God doing? He was actually leading them to what? The promised land. Huh? They are on their way to the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey and Freddy's cheeseburgers. I know we're going to be there. Huh? He's leading them to the promised land. And they're complaining about the trip. Listen, life may not be exactly the way you want it right now, but right now is only temporary. All right? We're on a journey, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to end in the promised land. This is only temporary, so very temporary. And they had forgotten that. Right? They had seemed to have forgotten that. There's a day coming that none of us will ever want for anything. There's a day coming that none of us will ever lack anything. Because we'll be in the promised land. Uh, Psalm 17, 15 says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. When we are in His presence, we won't want for anything. We won't lack for anything. None of us are going to feel like we're missing a thing when we're in God's presence, right? Psalm 16, 11 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know how long that is? Forevermore. Huh? Forevermore. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. As it is written, Paul said, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human heart has conceived. These are the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Right? This is the journey to that. Huh? And it literally can't be described. He says, no no one can comprehend it. Great song, I can only imagine. And we can't imagine what it's going to be like. It can't be described, and if I could somehow describe it to you, you wouldn't understand it. Read Revelation. <laughs> huh? All right? John's doing his dead-level best to try to explain to you what he's seeing, and he, their words are not adequate. He, he cannot do it. And so because we know what is coming, the promise is the promised land. Right? The promise is heaven if we're followers of Jesus Christ. And because we know what is coming, folks, we can be content with the journey we're on now and, and what it brings us, right? Even when there's a bunch more that I want that I don't have yet, there's a day coming when I won't want for a thing. Wow. Dory, I can't wait. Let's take a bus today. I'm sweating and it's hot. Y'all hot? Is it summer or winter? Think about it. For the Israelites, the best was yet to come. Think about it. For us as Christians, the best is yet to come. The promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, is our final destination. We're on a journey to get there, and it's only temporary. Don't miss this. God had a purpose for them even in the journey. He, he had a purpose for the, the manna. He had a purpose for what they were going through and what they were going through. It was all a part of his plan to make them his special people. In the wilderness, what was he teaching them? He was teaching them about faith in God. 
Huh? That's what it's about. Sometimes it's about the lessons are about learning to trust God and have faith in God. And these are the lessons that he's teaching them on this, this journey. It was part of his plan, which, oh, by the way, learning about God, learning uh, to have more faith in God, learning to trust God is a whole lot better for us than any food that we could ever have or imagine. But envy kept them from seeing it. Envy kept them from believing it. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul references back to this story that we looked at here in Numbers chapter 11. Uh, he references the exact story, and he says that the root cause of their envy, the root cause of their wailing and complaining and all that, Paul says the actual problem was idolatry. And you kind of look at it and go, no, they were hungry. Paul says, no, no, it was, it was much bigger than that. Because, see, they wasn't really hungry. It came down to idolatry because idolatry is when you crave something more than you crave God. Hello. Idolatry is when we want something more than we want God. When we're craving whatever it is more than we're craving God in our lives and Paul says that's why it's idolatry because that is isn't really what we're hungry for at all right and, and, and so Jesus goes on he talks about this as well in John chapter 6 and, John, and Jesus actually says that he was the one being symbolized in the manna that we're reading about here in the story he said the manna really is all about me he, he said in despising the manna in saying that the manna wasn't enough, they were despising him and saying that he wasn't enough because he was the provider, right? And he was providing it because having Jesus and knowing him, can I, can I tell you this morning, what he wants you to know is that is the essence of the good life. That is the essence of the uh, abundant life that Scripture talks about. Knowing Him is what keeps our souls from drying up, and knowing Him is what actually allows us to really be alive uh, in this world. Uh, one scholar said it like this, and I would tell you his name, but I can't pronounce it, so you take it. It's on the screen. But he says this. I, I think this is so good. Envy arises out of worship. If you want to understand what you worship, follow your envies. You envy those people who have the things that you most worship. So basically, it's this. We talked about the smoke detector and it alarming and telling us to look for the smoke and follow the smoke trail to the source of the problem. Basically, what he's saying here is this. You can follow the smoke trail of your envies and your wants and the things you think you need and the things that you think you deserve, you can follow the smoke trail down to the fires that you have built on your altars of worship because that's where the smoke is coming from, from your altar of worship. And that's where the real problem often is in our spiritual lives. We've placed the wrong things on our altars of worship. And so the question that I believe that we have to wrestle with today is this. When is Jesus going to be enough for you? When is he going to be enough for you? 
I love how Paul wrestled with this in Philippians chapter 4. I want you to listen to what he says. Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I was well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. He says, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. And He says, I know this. He says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches that He's given us, right? According to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to keep in mind, Paul is writing this beautiful passage of Scripture in prison. Huh? He's he's writing this in prison where he's basically chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He's not sitting on a beach in Cozumel enjoying the sound of the waves, drinking a cold lemonade with a little umbrella in the top, right? I mean, he's not experiencing his greatest days here when he writes this passage of Scripture. But he says, I have learned to be content with a little or with a lot I can do All things through Him who strengthens me. And the key phrase here is through Him. All right? In Him because He is the manna that I need and He is enough. (laughs) Right? He is enough. He is the manna. Jesus says, I'm the manna. He is enough. He is all that we need. The secret to contentment, you know, we often say just be thankful with what you got. I'm going to tell you this morning that, you know, that's, that's true. But that's not really the key to contentment is being thankful with the little that we've got. The secret to contentment is seeing how much we truly have been given. How rich we are as a child of the king. Hello? A child of the king? And we want to complain about not having enough and not being rich? Not having enough cows or cars or whatever, right? We are a child of the king. The secret to commitment to contentment is understanding that and how much we really have been given. How rich a treasure we possess in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And and so uh, Jesus basically is saying this, I am the manna. Feast on me. Feast on the manna because I promise you, That manna, Jesus Christ, is what your soul is craving, right? It's what your soul wants. It's what your soul desires. It's what your soul needs. It's this manna. It's this relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about it this morning. On the cross, Jesus lived out just the opposite of envy while he was there on the cross. Rather than being resentful for our joy, you know, it, it would have been if I would have been Jesus, I'd have been like, they don't deserve this. Huh? They they don't deserve what I'm about to go through for them. But no, Jesus, rather than being resentful for our joy and our happiness and our salvation, he was broken over the fact that we were in bondage. He was broken over the fact that we were held captive. We were slaves of our own sin. And he was broken by that. And so what did he do? He gave up his throne in heaven. He gave up his stuff. He gave up his good things so that we could be saved. He gave all that up for you. And he gave that up up for me. And, And can I just ask you this morning, has anyone else ever done that for you? Has anything else ever 
given you that or provided that for you? And the answer is no, because Jesus says, I am the true manna. And you hunger for things, right? But that will hunger will be overcome when you feast on the true manna, the truth teller, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. The question is this, when is he going to be enough for you? When's he going to be enough? for you let me pray for you God this passage of scripture is challenging to us because it hits every single one of us right where we live (laughs) we uh, if we're honest we struggle with this a lot so, God, this morning, not only is it challenging, but it's, it's so encouraging for us because we're often searching for something else that will make us happy, something else that will bring us joy, when we have exactly what it is that will do that. And that's you in a relationship with you. And so my prayer here today is this. If there be anyone that came into this building today, and they don't know you, and they don't have a relationship with you, and they've never surrendered their life to you, I I pray that that would be a step that they would take today. That today would be a day where they would say, okay, I've been trying to get happy. I've been trying to get satisfied with all these different things, with all this stuff. But I understand that that can only come through a relationship with you, so today I'm surrendering my life to you because that's what I want. I pray that... Someone here today would make that decision to surrender their life to you, confess their sins, repent, and become a child of the King. And God, that they would share with someone. They'd have the boldness to be able to share, hey, this is what I did today. I'm going to walk with Jesus because I understand this journey is short and it's temporary, but I know where it's going to take me if I walk it with Him. And so I pray that someone would make that decision today to give their life and their soul to you and join us on that journey. But God, there's also some of us here that have been on the journey that, boy, we just sometimes we get down, we get discouraged, we get sidetracked, we get our priorities all mixed up. And basically it all comes down to what it is that we put on our altar of worship, what we crave, what we desire. And, and so today I pray that you would put within us, uh, we, we've talked about all summer about the help of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray with the help of the Holy Spirit that you would just... Uh, remind us you would put this desire in us to have a have a craving for you and want to know you more and experience you more and, and to be in your word more to pray more to be more about our walk in our relationship with you than we are trying to obtain whatever it is in this world it, it's it's a challenging passage of scripture And so I pray that you would do exactly what you intended to do with it in every one of our lives, that we would leave here differently from the way that we came, and we would be changed because that's your goal is to change us and mold us and make us into your image. And so today, that's what you're doing. And so we want to be available to that. And we love you so much. What a special day this has been. We love you so much for loving us and caring about us and giving us the good stuff right now. You're so good. You're such a good God. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.